Allie. Queen Camilla and King Charles own a lot of extremely large homes. At my last count, they have at least seven palaces, 10 castles, 12 houses, 56 cottages, and 14 ruins. <laughs> this portfolio, including some other lesser properties, is, according to Forbes, worth $25 billion. Wow. And that's not even including Queen Camilla's own side house, Ray Mill. Is it weird if I say that's my favorite house? That's Camilla's little old bolt hole where she goes when she wants to get away from her 99 other houses. <laughs> yeah, Ray Mill is the charming country mansion that Camilla bought when she and her first husband, Andrew Parker Bowles, split up in the mid-90s. She has hung on to it ever since then. And according to every single biography and article we've ever read about Camilla... It's her sanctuary, and we're going to tell you all about Ray Mill today and what Camilla gets up to there. But I think columnist Adam Helliker put it best when he wrote in the Daily Express, quote, At Ray Mill, she can sit down with a big G&T, kick off her shoes, and watch Coronation Street, which Charles loathes. I think that it's only fair that we all have a gin and tonic house. <laughs> I'm Mally Miriam. And I'm Eva Walchover. And this is Windsors and Losers, the podcast that tells you an overlooked story about the British royal family in every episode. This season, we're getting to know the new Queen Camilla. And in today's installment, we're talking about her very own home, Ray Mill. Okay, so here's what we're going to talk about. First, Ray Mill. Why exactly does Camilla have her own house? What does she get up to there? And is Charles even allowed inside? Second... How does Ray Mill fit into the complicated royal property portfolio? What do Charles and Camilla own as human beings and what do they own as sovereigns? Because there is a distinction. And third, what will happen to Ray Mill now that she's queen? Does she get to keep it? Okay, to Ray Mill. Part one, Camilla and Ray Mill. Let's ask the obvious question. Why does Camilla have her own house when she has all these other properties? According to the now outdated Prince of Wales website, they attempt to address this curiosity. It says, quote, why does the Duchess have her own home at Ray Mill? Answer, the Duchess likes to spend time with her children and grandchildren at their family home in Wiltshire. That's it. I kind of like to imagine that the royal SEO team was like, we're seeing a lot of traction on <laughs> why does Camilla have her own house on Google? So they were like, let's get ahead of this story. It is so preposterous that they answer this on their website. But okay. <laughs> so for a little bit of context, the Camilla Gate or Tampon Gate tapes were leaked in 1993. And this forced Andrew and Camilla to officially split up to get divorced. Before that, everyone could kind of pretend that the affairs and infidelities weren't happening. On both sides. On both sides, we must say. On both sides. Yep. But now it was all out in the open. Camilla and Charles were together and Andrew basically had to divorce to save face. So this meant they had to sell their marital home of Middlewick in the county of Wiltshire, which is not far from Charles's Gloucestershire home, Highgrove. And so after they sold the house, Camilla and the kids and dogs, they couch surf for a while, living at friends' various country mansions. She then finds Ray Mill in the extremely bucolic and picturesque village of Laycock. Laycock, I think. I, yeah, it's spelled Lacock, but I'm pretty sure they probably pronounce it Laycock. <laughs> Knowing the English and their like propensity to pronounce things in a manner completely unlike the way it is spelled, it's probably, yeah, the Laycock. Uh -huh. We can only guess, but <laughs> if you care to Google it, it's spelled Laycock. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so to give you an idea of just how picturesque this village is and how unspoiled it is by modernity, it was used as a filming location in the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. That's the one where Colin Firth dives into a pond and his white shirt gets soaking wet. I should note the pond is not part of her property. No, unfortunately not. Regrettably, because that would be a beautiful coincidence. (laughs) It was used in Downton Abbey and also in the Harry Potter movies. So it's very oldie-worldie, you know, land before time. Befitting a home of the woman who would be queen. Yes. A friend of a friend knew the owners of Ray Mill, and Camilla was able to buy it off the open market for £850,000, which is about $1.7 today. The tragic downside of famous people buying homes not on the open market is that there's never a public listing. So you can't see any pictures from inside this house. Whereas the other homes, actually, she also bought Middlewick not on the open market. So you can't see inside that one either. But her first marital home, which was called Bollyhide Manor, you you can see all the listing photos, which is quite a treat. But I digress. So as she's moved up in the world, her real estate has gotten more and more secret and exclusive. So Charles and Camilla's biographer, Giles Brandreth or Bandreth? Your guess is as good as mine. It's pronounced Lecoq. (laughs) It's spelled Brandreth, but it's pronounced Lecoq. (laughs) So Charles and Camilla's biographer, Giles Brandreth, has described Camilla and her country set as the Aga aristocrats. And this is referring to the extremely expensive cast iron oven ranges that they all have in their kitchens. Um, They cost like $20,000. And so nowhere is an Aga aristocrat more at home than at Ray Mill. And we know from her food journalist son, Tom, that Camilla is not a cook who follows recipes per se, but she's an intuitive chef. And one of her uh, main dishes is a roast chicken. So I think that Aga is probably really great for that. Big part of the success of that dish. Yeah. I mean, you and I could go on and on about Aga's. That, yeah. Let's make another podcast about Aga's. Uh, yeah. Tune into our side project, Windsor's and Aga's. <laughs> So um, Camilla's hired mouthpiece, a.k.a. official biographer, this woman named Penny Juner, has done a beautiful job of setting the scene. It's basically a British countryside fever dream. So just 50 yards from the river with an old mill, it's delightful. It has six bedrooms, a big kitchen at the heart of the house with a blue aga keeping it warm. There's your aga, Eva. Yes. Um, It has a sitting room with a large open fireplace, floor to ceiling, bow windows. We don't want bow windows unless it's floor to ceiling. Uh, Double doors leading to the garden, a smaller, cozier sitting room that she calls the snug. I mean, are you an aristocrat if you don't have a snug? I ask. Um, In a big dining room, there was already a productive vegetable garden, a greenhouse with grapevines and fruit trees, including a fig. Mature trees all around. Particularly appealing is an area the Gilsons, the former owners, had preserved as a wildlife sanctuary for the swans, geese, and river birds. Country paradise. And we should note that important to her is the fact that it was very secluded and down a long road, and it's bordered on one side by the river and hard to get to. And to this day, photographers, no one can get close to it. It's very cut off. I need to tell you something. Uh huh. I looked at it on Google Maps. You satellited it? I satellited it. And? It looks pretty good. Yeah. It's very green there. Camilla and her kids and her dogs, Freddie and Tosca, uh, and her kids, Tom and Laura. (laughs) One of her grandkids is named Freddie, too. That's crazy. Weird. They moved in by Christmas 1995. 
So, you know, all in all, pretty soft landing, I'd say so. Not bad for a divorce house. Sounds like a lot of upkeep, but she's not doing it, so it's fine. Yeah, sure. But that's what you have servants for. Yeah. A former staffer, Sandy Henney, has described Camilla's homemaking style. Quote, there was a homeliness about the place. It was lovely. I want to say it was organized chaos. There was a huge table in the middle of her kitchen, and she would get up and be fussing around and bringing stuff to the table and saying, no, no, I'll do it. She was just totally hostess at home with lots of people. And laughter, just laughter, sometimes at his, Charles's, expense as well, which was good. One thing about Camilla is that it always does sound like you have a good time when you're hanging out with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Ray Mill, it's like her party house. Yeah, I'd stay there. I would also stay there. And stay there she did from 1995 to 2003 when she eventually moved in officially with Charles at his many homes. So they weren't married yet, but their relationship was public and official. And he, you know, chivalrously wanted to keep her safe inside the cone of royal protection. But she kept Ray Mill as her retreat and as the family seat for herself and her kids and grandkids. And apparently she and Charles would often spend a night there on weekends when they were in the Cotswolds at Highgrove. There's a Daily Mail profile of Ray Mill And they say, quote, peacocks wander around and the royal has seven beehives from which the honey is extracted and sold by Fortnum and Mason for charity. So I wonder if she can use that area as a tax deduction. But regardless, (laughs) we have lots of other little details about life at Raymill, including how in the Palace Papers by Tina Brown, good old TB writes that Camilla could, quote, loll around at the property. She could smoke a cigarette without furtively smoking up the chimney, which she'd do when Charles is around because Charles hate cigarettes. Um, She's also had to deal with irritations from neighbors. So Camilla, she's just like us. JK, I love my neighbors. (laughs) Such as what, Allie? So she had a neighbor right next door across the hedge who made an Airbnb. And she basically took the neighbor to court and said, we don't want no Airbnbs around here. She basically went all nimby on them, but (laughs) she lost. So that listing is online. And if you, like me, have a lot of time on your hands and a propensity to research really esoteric things online, you can find it. So we could conceivably stay at this Airbnb and spy on Camilla and her family at Ray Mill. Yes. One day when we organize the royal tour of England and we hit up royal spots that are like (laughs) known only to the insane royal fact Mm -hmm. keepers, this will be a stop on it. So... One way that Camilla signaled the continuing importance of Raymill to her personally was that she had Kate, her stepdaughter-in-law, take a picture of her there for the cover of Country Life magazine. And in the accompanying interview mentioned that she just loves to be at Raymill because it's near one of her youngest grandchildren's schools. She can do the school run, which is very fun. And she said, one grandchild's at school near my house. So when I'm in Wiltshire and her parents are away, I can nip over and pick her up and take her home. It should also be noted that Ray Mill has a big place at the center of like her kids' lives too. Mm-hmm. And her daughter, Laura, actually had her wedding reception there in 2006. Another reason why Ray Mill is important to Camilla is that Charles is a bit of a neat freak. He's very fastidious. And Camilla is a big old mess, at least according to former roommates of hers from a long time ago. So again, from Penny Jr. in her book, she writes, at Raymill, she can put on old clothes, 
forget the makeup, ignore the hair, potter around in the garden, watch mindless television, cook everyone some lunch, and be untidy in her own home without feeling that the prince is itching to send in the butler and straighten the magazine pile or take away empty glasses. I mean, it's hard to imagine wanting to not have the butler come in and tidy up your mess, but maybe you just get tired of it. It's like you've got to come from a a place of pretty high privilege to seek out the opportunity to not have someone tidy up after you. I mean, let's be honest. Someone's probably tidying up just after she's left. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's reinvigorating to put your own Mm -hmm. magazines into a tidy stack. (laughs) Ray Mill was most recently in the news because following the queen's death, Camilla went home there to recuperate amid all the activity of the mourning period in the funeral. It was basically front and center because Charles and Camilla got papped when he was, like, dropping her off there in a helicopter. So I feel like the optics were so opulent, opulent optics that... They had to explain what was happening there. (laughs) And so what was happening is that Charles went home to Highgrove to take a day off, what they called a, quote, day of reflection. And Camilla went to Ray Mill. And then the royal PR went into overdrive to be like, everything's fine here, don't worry, here's why she has her own house. Yeah, according to the New York Post, quote... They are a very close couple, so this has nothing to do with any tensions between them, a royal insider told the post of the king and queen consort. Quote, Camilla does have her own room at Highgrove, but she very rarely stays there. When they're in the countryside, she prefers to be at Raymill House, where she is not only close to her family, but also maintains her stables. That is just the way things have always been with them. I'm over here shaking my head because it's like, that quote's not doing the work you think it's doing. It's like, (laughs) she has her own room at Highgrove. Yeah, right. Where she hides from her (laughs) husband when they are together. But I do think that Charles and Camilla follow the rather old-fashioned world tradition of spouses uh, being in different bedrooms. Which actually has come full circle because recent studies, and I know this from another podcast I worked on, but recent studies have shown that I think it's like one in four couples sleep in separate bedrooms. So maybe this is just them being a thoroughly modern couple. Are they trendy? (laughs) Royal commentator Joshua Rahm told The Post in that same story that, quote, the two of them have undertaken an incredibly grueling schedule, which would impact anyone, let alone people who are in their 70s. So it is no wonder that when they had 24 hours off, they would both go to the places where they can kick off their shoes and relax. Okay, Josh Rahm. And apparently that means not together. Okay, so let's move on to part two, Allie. How and where does Ray Mill fit into the overall royal property portfolio? And oh, what a portfolio it is. Yes. The British royals are hideously rich. When Charles ascended the throne, he took over a $25 billion property empire, $12.9 billion of which, according to Forbes, is uh, commercial real estate. And this includes the Oval Cricket Ground in London. Ascot Racecourse, a bunch of central London, and, which this was new to me, Stonehenge. Oh, they own Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, and then from The Guardian, they say, in addition, the monarch owns the seabed and half of the foreshore around large parts of England, Wales, and Northern Ireland, an asset that has become increasingly lucrative since the North Sea oil boom, and more recently, auctions of plots for offshore wind farms. While that is a ton of property, Only some of it is actually owned by Charles or the monarch outright for their, like, personal monetary gain. 
mm-hmm. would give them money that they could like spend on real material goods. A lot of the property is actually owned by the crown estate or some institution of the monarchy where profits and any proceeds have to get plunged back into the monarchy. So it's not like Charles can sell any of this at any given time unless it's something that he owns outright. And that's the vast minority of the property that right. he holds. Like he has a few quote unquote personal properties like Highgrove, his properties in Romania, Burke Hall that he inherited from his grandmother, the Queen Mom. Yeah. I think our larger point here is that they do have an excess of properties. He's got 49 residents for state visits across the globe. He's got, as you mentioned, the cottages in Transylvania, but only a small number of these homes are official residences within the UK. The other interesting aspect of the royal property is that they own and operate 56 holiday homes and cottages across England, Wales, and the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. And average people like you or me can can go and stay there. This is so confusing. <laughs> and then they also own things like the um, Tower of London and Penarvon Castle in Wales, where Charles had his investiture. Those are tourist attractions that are managed by various royal charities and trusts. This is bananas. I just can't get over the fact that they own so many structures yes. that they just have to rent some of them out. Yeah. Like even ones that aren't available for holiday lets, they'll have little structures on royal estates that are part of long term lets, like things that they rent to people who work Farmers. on their estates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're wicked oversubscribed in terms of the amount of things that they own. And that brings us back to the fact that Ray Mill, they don't need that. That's Camilla's own private thing, which she had from before she was the wife of Charles. So as far as we're concerned for the interests of like tax filing and succession planning, this is Camilla's house. It exists outside of the royal sphere. And it's almost always described as her, quote, bolt hole, which I've noticed is often the term that the press uses to describe places like Highgrove or the Romanian cottages. It's like anything that's not a palace is described as a bolt hole. As in like, oh, this little rinky-dink house that they go away to when they want to like get away from it all. There's something also like implied by calling it a bolt hole because there's this British history of women leaving their families being and then being called a bolter. So if you're a bolter, you like up and left and like left your kids and your husband and your house and whatever. So Like Diana's mom. Yes, if you're a bolter, if you bolt to your bolt hole, you're kind of like absconding from your responsibilities as as your family. And this is where you get up to throwing those feet up and drinking a big old G&T. That's a really good history lesson. Okay. Okay. So this brings us to part three. What happens to Raymill now that Camilla is queen? Yeah, so far it seems that she's going to keep it. There's been no reporting to imply that she's going to sell it, that she's going to give it to her kids. Um, It seems like she still intends to spend time there with her family. Um, Prior to the ascension to the throne, there was a lot of speculation about what would happen to it. And um, there is a history of royal wives and consorts having their own properties. You know, I'm thinking of Henry VIII always kept his queens and his children off at their own palaces and castles. They had their own households, their own staffs. There's, of course, Marie Antoinette's Petit Trianon at Versailles. So in a way, Ray Mill is just another version of that. It's the modern day version of that. Um, Petty Druner, to conclude, 
She says, quote, she needs it. It costs the taxpayer nothing. She enjoys a lot of her new life, but not everything about it. And having somewhere to escape that is entirely hers and her family's entirely normal, entirely stress-free is not a luxury. It has helped her keep her sense of reality in the very unreal world that she's now a part of. I think that is a beautiful collection of letters into sentences, but I think this is a really good example of the authorized biographer kind of going root, root, root for the home team. Basically, like, Raymail does cost money to the taxpayer, and there was a furor, like, a couple decades ago about that exact thing, because obviously she's married to the king, she needs security, so... Keeping security guards on this house costs money. It costs money at the beginning to set up, you know, guard posts and places where the guards could be inside away from the elements. And they're going to be there around the clock even when she's not there because they're going to have to guard this house. Right. There's some presence when she's not there. And of course, there's... From looky-loos like us. Exactly. Like they need to put a big tent over the top so that Google Earth can't even show the outline (laughs) of her home. So it's not it's not tax free, but like okay, sure, no one's begrudging her at the home that she bought in the nineties. Um, but like, let's let's be fair. There is a cost to the taxpayer of her having this. So nice try, Penny. <laughs> okay, so it's time for our winners and losers questions. Allie, what does the tale of Ray Mill tongue twister tell us about Camilla? I think it speaks to a sort of mobility of the upper classes in general when. It- just not that big a deal to go between your houses. You're like, I mean, whatever, I could stay at this house or I could stay at that house. Like that's been their whole lives, whether they're mm-hmm. going between friends' country homes or their house in the town or their house in the country. Like they just go between houses. And I think that it may seem excessive to those of us who don't have 14 houses, but like I think about them, it's just not that big a deal. Yeah. I'm going to answer the question kind of off the back of yours, which is, you know, to take it back to the olden days the royal family would do their annual progress where they would move from palace to palace, country house to country house, townhouse to country house. And this was often done to escape the plague. They would always be one step ahead of the plague. And they're not escaping the plague anymore, but they're still sort of almost, it's almost muscle memory. They're still following that progress around the country. And, you know, they have to do something to fill their days. Ain't that the truth? Who do you think's the winner? I'm going to say Camilla. Uh, Ray Mill sounds lovely. I like to imagine that she has this whole shadow life, this shadow family and home life at a completely different house in the countryside. What about you, Allie? The town of Lecoq. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. I have the maturity of a five-year-old. But, you know, (laughs) hey, it's on the map. We will go there one day and stay in her neighbor's Airbnb. Okay, who's the loser? I think the loser is anyone that only has one house or (laughs) zero house. So the rest of us, everyone that's not the royal family. Yes, here's an idea for a new show, House Hoarders. (laughs) They're not property moguls, they're hoarders on a grand scale. Profiles of people (laughs) who have too many homes. (laughs) Stay tuned for that one. What about you, Allie? I guess the losers are anybody who has to rearrange a stack of untidy magazines in a room where Camilla doesn't want them tidied. Like, that is just a complicated situation. And uh-huh. whomever has to handle that task has my 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 sympathies. All right. Should we do this again? Let's do it again. 
Winsers and Losers is created and produced by us, Eva Walchover and Allie Merriam. Our episode was mixed by Kristen Muller. Give us your feedback at windsorslosers.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.